Good morning to you. Can I give you all a very warm welcome to Brighton Road for our service this morning. Thank you to those of you who are joining us online. A couple of announcements to begin the service. Can I first of all say that there is no youth meeting this afternoon. Um, secondly, I can I remind you about the Thanksgiving service for Margaret Bird this coming Friday here at half past two in the afternoon. On the Saturday of Holy Week, that's the day before Easter Sunday, we have a charity concert here performed by the Dove Orchestra in aid of Turning Tides. There will be a video to give you an idea of what's going on at the end of the service, promotional video for a few minutes. Do please come, do book online because you'll save money if you do so. And if you look at the bulletin, you will see that there's a request for volunteers to help. Again, if you'd like to sign up for that, please, that would be hugely appreciated. At our church meeting on Wednesday, we talked about using this material, Christian Foundations, uh, for our small groups programme from Easter through to the summer. Also say if you want to get together with two or three other people and work through it, we will be following this series in our Sunday services. If you want to follow up with that, the material is here at the front. Feel free to come and browse it, let us know what you think, and we will buy the requisite quantity of material to enable us to follow that programme between Easter and the summer. Those are the notices. But we come to worship. As if this were the only time, and this the only place, and we the only people, Jesus Christ will meet with us here. And if this were the only time, and this the only place, and we the only people, let's worship God together now. Stand and sing together if you're able. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart.
do please be seated. And let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you that through the years, through the generations, through the changing seasons, you have been with us in the good, the bad and the ugly times. We thank you that your truth is unchanging, steadfast and reliable, upholding and supportive. And we thank you that you are there for us at every moment of our lives, from the moment of our birth to the drawing of our last breath and beyond. And we thank you too that even when we seek things and possessions more than we ought, still you stand beside us. You walk with us, you breathe with us, you want to make your home within us. We thank you that you are the framework, the scaffold of our lives. And we give you praise and glory this morning. Amen. Give me the picture of Our Lady by the waterfall, please. Thank you, okay. How does this woman make you feel? What is your response to her? I see someone pulling a face. Do you want to, do you want to verbalise your reaction? A bit smug. Okay, a bit smug. Anything else? Sorry? Photoshopped. Maybe, maybe. You can't believe everything you find on the internet, can you? Okay, what else? Brian? Is she deaf? I've no idea. I don't know. Terry? She can't spell. Well, she can spell, but she can't do grammar. I'm here, you not. Does anybody feel charitably disposed towards her? Does anybody like her? Does anybody feel good about her? Sorry? She looks happy. But why is she happy? She's happy because she's there and we're not. It's not very nice. She's encouraging us to get there. But we don't know where she is and we can't get there. I'm not sure I want to get there to be with her anyway. And it doesn't look all that good, I've got to say. It's interesting why people post things on social media. We tend to post stuff that makes us feel good or that makes us look good. We don't tend to post the rubbish very often. And, and, and the, the danger is that those of us who aren't there, who can't necessarily afford to go to those exotic places and, and, and stuff like that, we just feel a little bit rubbish by comparison. There's something about social media that even if the person posting it doesn't intend to make us feel bad, it can make us feel just a little bit envious of what they're enjoying. We think, well, my life isn't quite that brilliant. Actually, their life isn't that brilliant either, but they're not telling you about that. But the danger of social media is it's bad for our mental health. Because all the time we're looking at Photoshop pictures of people living marvellous lives and isn't everything perfect and we're just thinking, well, I wish my life was like that. 
But actually nobody's life is like that. We need to learn the secret of being content with what we have. And you don't need to be the same as that lady who can't spell properly. And you don't need to be in that place to find contentment. You never will be her, and you don't need to be her. Because God made you to be the person that you are, and you don't need to be anybody else to be able to enjoy life and be content. So, Mrs. I'm here but you not, we're not with you. We don't need to be. We don't want to be. Right here, right now, my life in the hands of the God who made me and who loves me, that's good enough. Don't need to draw unfavourable comparisons between myself and anybody else. So any time you're looking at social media and thinking, oh, my life's a bit rubbish compared to theirs, it isn't. They're just showing you what they want you to see and maybe unintentionally trying to arouse that feeling of envy in you. Forget it. The love of God being your security is enough to enable you to find contentment without being with her wherever she is. The grace of God upon your life is good and it's enough. We're going to sing a couple of songs. God is good. We sing and shout it. God is good. We know it's true. The goodness of God can be the foundation for our own well-being. So let's stand and sing this together. my life God's goodness given to us unfailingly every single day that is the source of contentment and a true sense of identity your identity is that you are a child of God and that's enough the grace of God upon my life
and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you if you're going upstairs and with you if you're staying down here. God bless you. Have a great time in BRBK upstairs if you're leaving us now. sitting there on my own so I didn't have quite so far to walk. Anyhow, let's pray together. Thank you God for the privilege of being able to meet and bring our prayers to you without persecution. One of our main concerns today are the hostilities in Ukraine and the terrible loss of life on both sides of the conflict, not only there but in Israel and Gaza we pray for those who have been suffering so much recently in this terrible tragedy. We pray for the families who are so sad for having lost part of their families in these terrible times. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in countries where they are persecuted and receive no help from those who are supposed to protect them. We pray for God to bring an end to these wars and conflicts. And then we remember those who are working in these places. We think of Tear Fund and all that they do, helping in many poverty-stricken communities throughout Africa, Nepal, Bangladesh, and all around the world. We are concerned for their safety. We think too of the Salvation Army, especially for their work in the Ukraine, amongst animal, um, families and communities devastated by the war. We bring to you also Father Kali and her team working for the Eagle Project in Sao Paulo in Brazil for the past 25 years amongst young men in prison. She's also due to start work soon among young women too. There's been great concern for her health recently but we thank God that recent rest and relaxation helped to restore her. She says she's feeling like a new person and is grateful for all who support her. We think of our own country. We pray for wisdom for our Prime Minister and the government at this confusing time and for the Archbishop of Canterbury and all church leaders that they'll seek and put into practice policies that will benefit all who live here. And then we pray for our own church, for Tim and for Michael and our deacons as they lead us in this church. Please give to each of them the strength to carry on even when they may feel discouraged. Again, we pray for wisdom in discerning your will so that the right decisions will be made for the future of our church. We pray for unity in love, even when we have different opinions as to what may be done. We pray for all those in positions of leadership in the church organizations. Thank you for the faithful leadership given by Celia and the PMA over many years. And we ask for your guidance in finding new leaders to take on this valuable work. Thank you for so many people who work behind the scenes. We think 
those who work for CCNC, the Coffee, Cake and Company, the Saturday Breakfast and many others. For those who work on the sound desk, we thank you for them, not only on a Sunday, but also in preparing the material that makes our worship so much better. We thank you for our musicians who serve us so faithfully each week and for those who prepare the flowers that enhance the church and for all who work so hard behind the scene doing many other things to keep us safe here and comfortable. And we bring to you those who are unwell and who are awaiting results of tests and treatment. We have been asked by Dennis Breed's family to pray for him, especially after a nasty fall that he had recently. Dennis is a much-loved member of our church who spent many years as our church secretary. May he know the peace that only God can give. We remember those who recently have lost loved ones, and we remember Margaret Bird's family, and we think of the funeral that's going to be taking place later in the week. And then to finish, I want to share a prayer from one of my prayer books for us all, each one. Lord, I know that one of the best ways we can show our love for you is by loving other people. Sometimes this is easy when we're with people we like. Please help us when loving is hard, when people are unkind and when they don't understand, when we just don't like them. Teach us to love as you loved when you were walking about in the Holy Land of Palestine. Teach us to love as you love now, everyone, always. Amen. We're working our way through the seven deadly sins on Sunday mornings. We come today to envy. Uh, even those of us who are committed to God can find that sometimes envy worms its way into our hearts. Psalm 73 is written by someone who records his own struggle with envy. The, the issues he had, he looked at wicked people and the way they just seem to be getting away with murder. What is going on? Psalm 73 is his own struggle and his testimony of how God met him. Thanks, Gainer. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters of abundance, and they say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, 
I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down in ru to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one wakes, so when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together Jesus, all for Jesus.
Do please be seated. Envy is part of the stock in trade in terms of um, lists of things we shouldn't be doing in the New Testament. There's one passage which mentions envy in one of those lists and also has a, another reference to it talking us about us not being envious. Alison, come and read to us from Galatians chapter 5, please. Thank you. As Tim said, the reading is from Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning to read at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Can I lead us in a prayer of confession? Let's pray. Lord, please forgive our sins and set us free from them. We confess to the sin of pride. We've been sure of our own goodness and importance and have looked down on others. Help us to appreciate the true worth of other people. We confess to the sin of envy 
we've been displeased when others have been more successful or sought after than we have been. Help us to be glad when others prosper. We confess to our sin of anger. We've lost our temper and nursed grievances. Help us to be patient and understanding with everyone. We confess to our sin of self-indulgence. We've had enough and to spare, yet we've neglected the needs of others. Help us to deny ourselves so that others may not be in want. We confess to our sin of unchastity. In one way or another we've used sex wrongly. Help us to create and uphold right, right relationships between each other inside marriage and outside it. We confess to our sin of anxiety. We've worried about many things. Help us to trust you to see us through. And we confess to our sin of laziness. We've been lukewarm as Christians. Make us eager to do your will. And listen, here is good news. God sent his son into the world to save sinners. To redeem you. To accept you. To welcome you to change you. To those who turn to him and who confess their sins and put their trust in him, he says, you are accepted. You are forgiven. You are free. Come and live your life with me and for me to the full. Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, let us sing of a wonderful love, tender and true.
You know, when you're young, you look ahead into a future that's open and you may ask yourself the question, what am I going to do with my life? When you're old, you look back and you may reflect, what have I done with my life? Middle age is the time when you look around and wonder, what on earth am I doing with my life? And it's a time for reassessment. Those goals you had when you were young, how many have you achieved? How far have you come? How many hopes have you realised? How well have you done? And it can be quite a disconcerting time, actually, because you look around and more often than not, you see other people who are younger than you and better than you, who've gone further already than you have, and that realisation can trigger a midlife crisis. Oh my word, I'm losing this race already. Their success can make you feel like a failure. And that's a horrible place to be. The Italian composer Antonio Serieri was 41 when Mozart died at the young age of 35. They'd always been friendly rivals. But rumours began to circulate that Salieri had poisoned Mozart because he envied the younger man his success. Salieri is even said to have confessed to the murder when he went out of his mind at the end of his life. But few people actually believed that he was responsible for killing Mozart. But the tragedy was that he lived the closing decades of his life in the shadow of a dead man whose talent he could never surpass. Everybody loved Mozart, and Mozart was dead, and Salieri couldn't compete. In his own right, sorry, in his own right, Salieri was a great composer. Without Mozart, he would have been remembered as a great composer. But because of Mozart, that's where envy comes in and rots the bones. If ever you are tempted to judge your own self-worth or your value on the basis of how well you are doing compared to others around you, you will just end up being depressed and angry. And that's because however good or however brilliant you are, at some point, there will always be someone who's younger and better and cleverer and more successful than you. It is inevitable. It's going to happen. And that sense of feeling bad yourself because someone else is better than you, that's envy. And it's corrosive. It's self-destructive. Because envying them doesn't stop them being successful. Seeing their success just gnaws away at your own insides. 
Basil the Great compared envy to a viper, which in popular imagination was born by gnawing through the womb that conceived it. It's just destructive. And it, it threatens to fill us with hatred and spite because we resent what other people are enjoying. Their pleasure causes you pain. And you can end up blaming them for that. Whatever good they have, you feel that they are enjoying it at your expense. And then you may start to think, well, if I can't have that, why should they be able to enjoy it? And you can even go down the road of trying to make sure that they don't enjoy it or have it either. You want to spoil their pleasure because it's not your pleasure. So envy just doesn't hollow out your own soul on the inside. It can drive people to find ways of harming or damaging the well-being of the person who makes you envious. Psychologists talk about social undermining. That might entail just taking control of the resources that someone else needs to do well and making sure that they can't have access to them, or at least they can't have access to them without going through you in some way. You might conceal or obstruct access to what somebody else needs, or maybe simply reluctant to help them. Why should I help them do better than me? Why should I enable them to widen the gap between us even further? And there's no desire for cooperation because my own negative mindset controls everything else. Some people even covertly sabotage what someone else is doing. You see someone else making a mistake, slipping up. Do you help them correct it? Do you draw their attention to it? Or do you think, ah, they're going to come unstuck there and leave them to suffer the consequences? Or you do draw someone else's attention to it to damage their reputation. You see what they've done? See how they've got that wrong? Aquinas spoke of envy as being a vice opposed to love precisely because it wills the misfortune of others. And Basil of Caesarea again said, the only relief an envious person feels is when they see one of those whom they've envied falling upon hard times. This is the goal of his hatred, to see the person of whom he is jealous deprived of his happiness, to see the person whom he deemed enviable become an object of pity. Envy can turn us into very nasty people indeed. It crops up regularly in the short lists of vices and sins that you find in various points in the New Testament. It's there in Galatians 5, which Alison read to us. And he concludes that chapter by warning people against being conceited provoking and envying each other. Actually, like the authorised version here, let us not be desirous of vain glory, it says. 
Let's not fall into the trap of measuring ourselves against each other to see who's the most important here. Who's the more successful? Who's better than anybody else? Who gets the greater degree of honour? People talk about honour being a limited goal. There's, good, there's only so much of it to go round. So if you've got honour and I haven't, then you're depriving me. In actual fact, the, the way to do that is, is to kind of have some kind of challenge. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to try and get the better of you. I'm trying to get the edge over you so that I can win honour or prestige or applause or recognition for myself at your expense. It's competitive in a nasty kind of way. So let's stop trying to measure ourselves against one another to see who is more important. It's not a competition over who has the most power. Stop trying to put other people in their place to secure your place. Stop resenting it if someone else is doing better than you. Had we carried on reading into the start of Galatians chapter 6, we would have seen that Paul counters this individualistic preconception with my own self-importance with a series of practical exhortations about building other people up. Galatians 6.1 If someone else is caught up in some kind of transgression, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Envy takes a sneaky pleasure at their downfall. Ha! They've slipped up there, that's one up to me then. No, says Paul, if you, if you see them in trouble, you help them. You be gentle with them. You restore them. Actively seek to build them up. Chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. Be there for each other. Support and help each other. Look not for your well-being compared to the well-being of others. Look for the well-being of others and enhance that. Let love be your motivation, not a concern for your own status or position. Love is the antidote, the opposite of envy. Chapter 6, verse 3. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that you're something when in reality you're nothing. Don't pretend to be more important than you are. Don't inflate your significance. Don't get other people to think, well, what a wonderful person you are uh, by actually putting on a pretense, projecting an image which isn't really true. Don't make yourself look good by taking all the credit for somebody else's hard work. That's what envy looks like. Being glad when someone else gets it wrong. Refusing to help someone else do well or succeed. And if they do do well or succeed, trying to make sure that you get the credit for that. Envy moves us to destroy others instead of building them up. And that's what makes it so destructive. Turns us against each other. That's why it's there in the list of seven deadly sins. Chrysostom said it made the body of Christ look like a corpse. Because if we're working against each other in that kind of way, 
the love of Christ isn't controlling us as it should. You catch a glimpse of how envy distorts and twists what is good from Philippians 1.15. There is the Apostle Paul, languishing in prison. He hears of other people preaching the gospel and he knows that they're preaching Christ because they want to get at him. Has Paul been successful as an apostle? Absolutely. Well, they were saying, he's stuck in prison now. Not much he can do now. He's out of the running. This is our chance to show him how well we can do. And their motivation was one of envy and rivalry. And a little element of malice there as well. If we manage to upset or antagonise the authorities by how we preach the gospel, and that makes life a bit harder for Paul, well, that's a shame, isn't it? Uh, that's his tough luck. You can see the way in which envy infects and taints everything they were doing. Doing the right thing from the wrong motives. Paul's response is one of bravado. <laughs> I don't care, he says. What happens to me really doesn't matter so long as Christ is proclaimed. That's the most important thing. Paul wasn't bothered by envy because the whole of his life was orientated around Christ, not himself. And he really wasn't phased by any sense of competition about how well other people were doing compared to him or what other people thought of him. His security was grounded in his relationship with Christ. And in the grace of Christ, which is constant, no matter how well or how badly we're doing. And whereas envy originates in and feeds off a sense of inferiority and diminished self-worth, Paul's own sense of identity wasn't performance-related. His own security was grounded in the grace of Christ, and he didn't have to find ways to bolster his own self-esteem by comparing himself to others. He wasn't lo looking around to see how well he was doing compared to other people. Actually, he did occasionally, so I'm doing very well compared with them. But it wasn't, it wasn't the driving force behind what he did. His eyes were fixed on Christ, the one for whom he lived his life, the one he sought to please. He knew that God loved him, that God had chosen him, that God had called him, called him, and that was enough. There is something fundamentally liberating about the grace of God, the knowledge that God accepts you for who you are, irrespective of your level of achievement or success. He created you, the person that you are. And you might wish you had someone else's personality or charisma or gifts or success or lifestyle. But you don't need to become that person to know God's favour and God's love. Let me once again sound the note of realism here. That other person's life is almost certainly nowhere near as great or as perfect as you imagine it to be. God created you with the potential to develop your own gifts and your personality. And our personality reaches its best potential when we are in secure, affirming, positive relationships with other people. 
Because when our relationships are good, our personality develops well, and we, in cooperation with them, can develop our own gifts to their fullest, fullest extent. We flourish best together. Don't let envy rob you of that potential. So can I encourage you as well to reflect on your own life, to look for what is good and thank God for it. David Citroen, writing in the Christian Education Journal, says that gratitude is a posture linked to thankfulness, appreciation and wonder, characteristics that are incompatible with the resentment, frustration and fear linked to the vice of envy. The best antidote to envying what others have or who they are is to be grateful for what you have and who you are. So can I invite you to stop thinking about all those things you wish you had, the person you wish you could have been. Just thank God for making you the person that you are and for giving you the love that he's given you and the gifts he's bestowed upon you. That love which is unconditional and for that grace which freely forgives you when you get it wrong. You can't change the path that's led you to this point. If there is or has been a midlife crisis, you can't, you can't go back and start over again. But you can ask God to direct your path into the future. For his love, his grace and the fellowship of those around you in this place to guide and direct who you are and how you live. Don't let a sense of lack deprive you of the capacity to make the most of life. Let the abundance of God's goodness to you liberate you into a living a life that is fruitful and rewarding in his service. Let's spend a moment of quiet. Well, we confess how naturally we compare ourselves to others. That sense of pride when we're doing better than they are. That sense of envy when we see them doing better than us. Lord, deliver us from that unhealthy competitiveness that's rooted in a sense of inferiority or the need to prove our worth. Help us to take our bearings from your steadfast love. From your grace to us in Christ. And may your love to us liberate us from selfishness and enable us genuinely to build others up, even if that means we enable them to do better than we are. Thank you that we flourish best together. It's the way you made us. May your love for us and your love for others through us deliver us from the sin of envy. For we ask it in your name and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. As ever, the prayer team is available if you would like to talk to someone or pray with someone before you leave this morning.
Our closing hymn is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, Pilgrim Through This Barren Land. Amen. Amen.